feel free to put your hands together just like that. God, we're here to worship you today. Lift our hands, our songs, our hearts. Oh, oh, oh. We worship. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging seas. My God, He holds the victory. Come on, there's joy we say. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Accepted, we did by His grace. 
people of God, let's bring an offering. We pour our love out today. We pour our affection out today to the only one who is worthy, the only name who is holy. King Jesus, we bring an offering. Oh, oh, oh. all the earth. Come on, sing it. to worship. I love worshiping with y'all in the room and online. Hello, online friends. Wow. What I love about this offering moment is that it gives us a chance to respond to the greatness, the glory, the beauty, the majesty of the Lord with something tangible, with something physical, with something of our own. 
The thing about God and his generosity and his greatness for us and his plans for us is that when we give, we get to respond to him in the way that he's responded to us. So as we're singing about, God, you gave us breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, that's a response to the Lord. So when we give, we get to implement, in a way, John 3, 16, where God so loved the world, so he gave. So for us, we love God, so we give, right? That's what we're doing in this moment. Isaiah 32, verse 8 says this, the plans of the generous, the plans of the generous people, sorry, but generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. I'll read that again. But generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. The Lord has been generous to us. So we get to plan and be intentional and be generous to the Lord. So as we give, there are four ways to give on your phone, online, snail mail boxes in the back. But in this moment of intentionality and response to God's generosity, as we are gonna be generous toward him, that is what we get to do. It is a cyclical, circular motion. God gave to us, so we give to him. God gave to us, so we give to him. So with that, let's implement Isaiah 32 and have a moment of prayer as we continue to worship. So Lord, thank you so much for your generosity toward us. God, thank you that you give to us, so we give back to you. We give of our tithe and our offering. We give of our worship. We give of our praise. God, we glorify you. We honor you. We magnify you because you are worthy. Thank you for being generous to us. And in response, we will be generous toward you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's continue to worship as we give. say thanks be to God for this worship team that leads us so excellently, the choir every week. 
I'm telling you, it's not like this everywhere you go, and we are blessed. We are blessed. Thank you so much for the way you serve us and lead us. Amen. Okay, one announcement before we get started. I guess I should say, hi, I'm Daniel. It's good to meet you. If I haven't met you, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to New Life. Um, one announcement. We, we hear stories every week. One of the best things we are doing here at New Life Church is our men's fire team system. We've got these guys who gather in groups all over the city. They pray, they read scripture, they challenge each other, they encourage each other, they keep one another accountable, they celebrate each other's wins. And I'll just say, in the body of Christ, loneliness is a self-inflicted wound. There is no reason why men at this church should be lonely. Look around this room. We've got a room full of men of God. And so here's the ask. We have 50 fire teams around our city that meet every week and they're crushing it. We feel like the Lord has asked us to go from 50 to 100 this year. And so we need excellent men who love to gather men and serve Jesus. And, and I'm inviting you on an adventure, on a journey. So after the service, we've got a table in the lobby. Pastors Gabe and Chad will be there and they'll give you all the information. But if you have a heart to serve Jesus and to to be friends with men of God in this church. Come get signed up and let's go from 50 to 100 this year. Amen? Okay, now take 45 seconds, cross the aisle, hug a neck, shake a hand, be kind, and in just a minute I'll come open the Bible. One, two, three, be nice. Good morning. I'm Becky. We're so glad you're here with us today at New Life North. My name is Briggs. If you're new here and you're wondering what ministries New Life Church offers, you can scan the QR code or click the link below. And if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, be sure and make a comment and let us know where you're watching from. Yes. Grab your Bible, grab a pen, grab a notebook, grab your favorite coffee. It's time to lean in and hear an amazing message. Why don't you come on in, grab your seats. Today we are in week three of a series going through the Gospel of John. And we're going to do this up until Easter. So really, I invite you to kind of bed down in that text with us. Read it as, as you're coming to church. Let's meditate on this over the next few months and ask the Lord to speak. And today what I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you out of John chapter three, the first nine verses. I'll read it. And then I'll pray. I invite you to open your hearts. I invite you to throw away your phones. I invite you to say, come Holy Spirit, speak to us. Can we just say that right now? Come Holy Spirit. So hear the word of the Lord out of John chapter three. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So he's a legend in the community. He's an icon. He's famous. He's well known. And he came to Jesus when? Can you say it with me? Wow, that was awesome. That was like an Augusta golf clap, precious. Oh, isn't this nice? He came to Jesus at night. Okay, flag that in your mind. He came to Jesus at night. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. 
Jesus completely ignores what he has just said. And he says something that feels uh, heading in a different direction. He says something that shakes Nicodemus to his core. Hey, Nicodemus, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus now picks up this thread and says, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, Nicodemus, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases and you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so it is with everyone born of the spirit. And Nicodemus asked, how can this be? Let's pray. Lord, we need you. We need you. We need you. We need you. If we get spoken to today from heaven, it will not be by my power. It will not be by my might. It will be by the spirit of the Lord. And we have gotten in our cars and gotten dressed and gotten kids together. And we've made an effort. We've sacrificed. We're here this morning not to be entertained. We're here because we believe that you speak. And when you speak, the worlds are formed. We believe that when you speak, you speak into the darkness and you say, let there be light. And there was light. And we believe that you're the God who wants to drive out the darkness and the chaos and bring us into order. So we're saying, do it all over again. Speak to us today, Lord. We're open. We're ready. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, amen. John chapter three is one of the most iconic passages in all of scripture, if not the most iconic. And this text today is one of the important conversations that Jesus has in all of his ministry. And more children have memorized John three sixteen, maybe than any other. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then dad gives him a dollar, you know? Anyway, like John three sixteen. How many how many old curmudgeons have we seen between the uprights on a Sunday afternoon holding up a poster board sign John three sixteen? And it's a beautiful like they believe Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. John three sixteen. This is this is a really important text. But today what I want to do is try to dig a little bit further below the the, the quick pass and the quick memorized scripture and ask what's actually happening here. In this text, verse one, there's a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night. Now, remember, the context here matters. This is right at the beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry. He had just the previous chapter turned the water into wine. This unbelievable sign, this hello world moment. And, and it, it was six uh, stone water pots filled with water and, and 20 to 30 gallons a piece. If you're doing the math, the way we bottle wine today, the, the, the wine that Jesus multiplied and gave to them would have been about 908 bottles. It was a week long wedding celebration. And Jesus just goes, 
have a blast. Now be clean, be sober. Jesus is not being sloppy, but Jesus gives these people what they need to celebrate for a week. And what we see in this first sign is that God's kingdom is a kingdom of abundance. God's kingdom is a kingdom of joy. God's kingdom is a kingdom of festival celebrations and like families gathering and whole communities being swept up into the majesty of God's provision. The water gets turned into wine. And in John chapter two, you turn the page and this guy, Nicodemus, who's a legend, decides to leave under the cover of darkness and go to see what this Jesus guy is all about. He doesn't want to be seen going to see Jesus, but he demands that he sees Jesus to see what this is all about. It's early in the ministry and there's just a handful of people who've decided to leave everything and houses and mothers and sisters and brothers and family businesses to forsake all to follow Jesus. There's just maybe 12, maybe 25, how many? But it's just the early days of Jesus's ministry. More often than not, most people were kicking the tires with Jesus. They're paying attention. They're flagging it. They're, they're, they're making a note. We'll circle back. We'll, we'll okay. Cool. Miracle. Beautiful. Interesting teaching. He teaches as one who has authority and not as our elders in the, in the synagogues. Jesus will circle back. Most people are kicking the tires, but on this night, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and he was a tenured professor. I want you to get what this would have cost him. Essentially a tenured professor, an older man, established in the community, a highly paid member of the establishment. He was settled, he was venerated, his routines were locked in, he had someone booking his appointments and he didn't take any appointments at this point in his career that he didn't want to take. He'd pop over to the parliament every other Monday. He would swing by the cabinet meetings on Thursdays. This guy would walk through, meander through the markets and shake hands and kiss babies. And, but he was an appointed official, not a voted official, so he didn't need to do. He's locked in, established, deep pockets, big reputation. And he comes to Jesus at night. I want you to understand how much Nicodemus had to lose by making this journey to go find out about Jesus. Something about him Jesus, something about Jesus acted as a holy disruption in the life of Nicodemus. He got his attention. He, he cut through the anesthetized apathy that Nicodemus had been sort of swallowed up in. It, it, once, once you get established, it's hard to be interrupted. And so I'll say to you, this isn't a part of my notes, but let me just say to you, one of the greatest prayers you can pray in the kingdom of God is disturb me, O Lord. God, you have permission to interrupt me. God, you have permission to wake me up. God, you have permission all of my life. In my 70s, disturb me, O Lord. Wake me up, keep me fresh. In my 80s, keep me fresh, O Lord. Jesus, when you say, come and follow me, I wanna do it for the rest of my life. Nicodemus was disturbed in a holy way and he had to know more about Jesus. And what does Jesus say to Nicodemus when he walks through the dark streets that night to find him. Jesus says, very truly, I say unto thee, except one be born anew, 
He is not able to see the kingdom of God, except one be born from above, one translation puts it, except one be born again, except one be born of God, except the, 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 the normal established order of your life gets turned upside down by the thundering voice of Jesus, you're left on your own. But if you will respond to Jesus, you'll get swept up into the kingdom of God, born a new. Nicodemus says, but how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. He, he, he goes right back at him. But let me just kind of defend Nicodemus for a second, because what we have done historically for 2000 years is made him sound like a fool, make him sound like a dull knife tucked in the back of God's drawer. Oh, bless his heart. Nicodemus, how can it sound? He wasn't literally thinking that a person could go back into their mother's womb and get ready to come through the birth canal a second time. That's not what Nicodemus was saying. Nicodemus wanted to, to use this sort of rhetorical device. It was a, it was a bit sarcastic. It was quite ironic. He was, he was a debater. Think, we, we, we act like Nicodemus is a fool here. How can a person be born? No, he's essentially a theologian meets a lawyer meets an orator. He's brilliant. He's one of the rising stars in his community. So, so clearly he wasn't stupid here in his conversation with Jesus. He was using this rhetorical device to go at Jesus, to see if Jesus was salty enough to engage, to see what Jesus was all about. Can I disturb him? Can I put him on his back foot? Nicodemus says, oh, Jesus, here's essentially what he's saying. You're asking too much of people. Be born again. Like when they're old to change, Jesus, you're asking too much of people. You need to quit that. Nicodemus is engaging Jesus and essentially saying, how can a rebirth like this even happen, especially when you're older and set in your ways? Now, some of you already know what I'm talking about. I think most of us know what I'm talking about because the word on the street in our society today even is old people don't change their minds on big issues later in life. We know this because we say things like, it's hard to teach an old dog. Everyone in the room knew that. All of you knew that, why? Because we've all agreed that when someone grows, when someone starts stacking decades, when someone finds an established kind of way of being that works for them, they don't interrupt their lives. They kind of lock down, they double down, they settle in. It's hard to teach an old dog new tricks means that we all say like, hey, don't, just kind of leave them alone, let them grow. And Jesus does not leave us alone. He shows up to Nicodemus, who's got deep pockets and a big reputation, and he's a baller, but something disturbs Nicodemus. He leaves his established position at night because he's sneaking around, and he comes into the room, and he's standing face to face with the son of the living God, whose eyes burn like fire, <laughs> and whose voice, says Revelation, is like the sound of many rushing waters. And the powerful man essentially begins to humble himself and say, hey, Jesus, talk to me about this. And Jesus says, you must be born again. 
You must be transformed. You're invited, Nicodemus, if you want to truly live. I'm inviting you into a radical transformation. I'm inviting you to lay down your power. I'm inviting you to lay down your reputation. I'm inviting you to lay down that sense of walking through the markets and everyone going, Nicodemus is here. And I'm inviting you on a journey where you are a follower, not a leader. I'm inviting you, Nicodemus, to come back to life. We say it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks and we think, you know, you can't take racism out of people when they're old. And Jesus says, or can you? We say things like, you know, back in Jesus's day, they would have said, you can't expect Jews to love Samaritans and Samaritans to love Jews. And Jesus keeps walking down the dusty roads and he says, or can you? We can't expect rich people who have worked hard for their living to to take interest in poor people who who need a hand up. And Jesus says, or can you? (laughs) We can't expect entrepreneurs who are out there knocking it down. We can't expect them to think of themselves as stewards of their business instead of owners. And Jesus says, or can you? We can't expect Hutus and Tutsis to love each other today in our current moment, or can you? We can't expect Christians to love Muslims and Muslims to love Christians. And Jesus says, or can you? We say you can't expect Republicans to to, to be gracious to Democrats and Democrats to be gracious to Republicans. No, we have to tear each other to shreds. And Jesus says, or do you? You must be born Again, and something in Nicodemus' soul starts to shimmer with the hope and the possibility and the horizons. And wow, this might cost me everything, but it actually might mean that I live. We say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And Nicodemus, essentially, in his first engagement with Jesus, was saying, you're asking too much of your followers. Nobody's got Jesus. This business plan doesn't work. If you want the masses to follow you, you have to make it easier. If you want the masses to follow you, you have to lower the bar. If you want the masses to follow you, you've got to dumb it down. Put it at a sixth grade reading level, Jesus. Don't ask people to deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow you because no one will do it. And Jesus says but maybe they will. Do you see what's happening here? You must be born again. You must say yes to the radical transformation. You must give yourself over to to heaven opening up over you and heaven opening up a new territory within you where you can bless those that curse you and pray for those who despitefully use you and turn the other cheek and go the extra mile and lay down your cross or take take up your cross and lay down your life and follow me. Just come and follow me, says Jesus. If you put five one-year-olds in a classroom today upstairs and you gave them fruit snacks and toys, they're set. And, and, and imagine if you put one uh, a Pakistani kid in there and you put one Brazilian kid in there and you put one Norwegian kid in there and you put one Japanese kid in there and you put a kid from Colorado Springs in there, five one-year-olds from five different countries, five different cultures, five different stories, you know what they would not be doing? I promise you the little Japanese kid and the little Colorado Springs kid would not be arguing about whose fault Pearl Harbor and Hiroshima and Nagasaki was. They would not be pointing the finger. They would not be nurturing old animosities. Why? Because you have to train people to hate each other. 
You have to disciple people into the madness of the devil. You have to make people rise up. Well, my mommy told me I'm supposed to hate you. I remember the first week of school for my little boy, first grade, Wakely Daniel. This was five years ago. He's 11 now. He's, he was six then. And he came home after the first, uh, the first week of school. It was like the second day. And he started telling me stories. Wakely, how was school today? He, he, you know, he was buzzing and he loved his teacher and all this. And then he said, and my best friend, dot, dot, dot. He told me about his best friend. I go, wait, wait, wait. Who is this? I've never heard about this person. And, and I said, who's your best friend? And he goes, well, I don't know his name. <laughs> and I, he said, but we played on the playground and we, he was tickling me and I was, and he shared his fruit snacks with me. He's my best friend. Friends, you have to teach people to nurture old animosities. We're not born with that. We are trained to hate one another. So I'll say, if racism and hatred are something that you're taught, can't they also be unlearned? If political partisanship, just destroying people, if that's something that you've seen, can't you also unlearn it? If you were raised in a situation where we were scared of provision and so what you do is you circle up the wagons and, and you really kind of just take care of number one and then greed sets in in your family of origin, the system that you grew up in. If greed was normal for you, can't you also unlearn that? If, if joylessness... Hopelessness is something that you're taught. Can it also be something that by the spirit of Jesus begins to be unlearned? Can't a new heaven open over you? Can't we be born again, friends? And this is the kind of interaction Jesus is having with Nicodemus. Jesus says to him famously, in John 3, verse 6, and I'll just invite you to memorize this. It's, it's, it's easy. Right behind Jesus wept. This is about as easy as it gets to memorize a scripture. John 3, verse 6, it says, flesh gives birth to flesh. But spirit gives birth to spirit. Notice, keep this up. Look at the capital S, Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit, the Holy Spirit of God gives birth to our spirits, the lower S. So what happens is like Lisa and I have three kids and I live every day with the awareness that if I decided to do this, I have enough power to turn my kids into monsters. I'm not joking. Like, again, if, if racism and hatred is discipled into someone at a young age. Like that means we, if you have children, you have the power to, to raise them in the flesh. Flesh gives birth to flesh. So I could say to my kids, hey, let me tell you all the people that you're supposed to hate. Let me tell you all the people who are stupid. Let me tell you all the people who, who've got it backwards. And let me tell you who you need to live your life in defense against. And when you see these opportunities, make sure you make them feel small. Take it out on them. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But the Holy Spirit of Jesus gives birth to spirit, which means instead of teaching my kids to be monsters, I can bring them into our living room, Lisa and I, and we can open the scriptures and we can say, Hey guys, John three, you must be born again. So who do we need to forgive today? Kids, who do we need to pray for today? Kids, who do we need to be generous to, kids? 
Kids, who do we need to really strengthen? Hey, when you go into school today, kids, you're gonna see someone at a lunch table sitting by themselves, tucked in the corner, and someone early in the morning is going to have said something terrible to them about their body. Or you're stupid, or your clothes are, and, and they're gonna be sitting over there feeling broken down and discouraged. Kids, when you see that, I want you to race over and bring either sit with them where they are or bring them into the center of your table and make them the hero by the end of lunch. Friends, flesh gives birth to flesh, but when the Spirit of God starts to flow within you and the new birth and the recreation and the radical transformation happens, we start to be able to disciple our people into the glory instead of into the madness. And Jesus, his whole interaction with Nicodemus is saying, you have two options, Nick. You can choose to be established in your old way of being and you can assume that God can't do something new in us and you can just wait till heaven. But you will have missed out on life the whole way. Or Nicodemus, you can lay down your power. You can lay down your reputation. You can pick up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. And you can live below the spirit of the living God. And that spirit will animate your spirit and make you a gift to the world. You can be born again and you must be born again. Here's essentially what Jesus is saying. Your mom and your dad made you and trained you the first time but the spirit of God can remake you and retrain you the second time. We're all raised in a story. We all come from somewhere. We all are working with the habits and the hurts and the hangups that we have. We all have family of origin stuff. We all have unique blessings and we all have unique opportunities to overcome things. And Jesus is saying, yep, you, you, you were born into your first story and you need to work with that. But if you'll come live before the spirit of God, he will retrain you and he will remake you and you must be born again. Can you say amen today? Now, let me just address this. Thank you so much. Let me just address this. I hear preachers, you know, we hear you thinking. I don't know if you know that, but we hear the protestations. We hear the questions. We hear the pushback. And we're like, oh, you didn't say it right that way. Or I wondered. Like, it's, get, it's beautiful. But, but one of the things that I hear in a room like this at a moment like this is, but hey, I already prayed the prayer. I remember being at youth camp when I was 13 and I went down front and it was a good, I did that once. And I want to say to you that the words of Jesus are ongoing. You must be being born again always. Lisa, could you come here? This is totally unplanned and I'm gonna have to ask for forgiveness rather than permission, okay? Some of you, get your couch ready for me tonight, okay? This is my bride of almost 19 years. I love her to death and they don't make them like they used to. But to those of you who would say, I prayed that prayer one time, I'm good. That's like me saying, hey yeah, 19 years ago I said those vows one time. But you know what a beautiful marriage looks like? A beautiful marriage looks like every day remaking your vows. A beautiful marriage looks like saying, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. 
that was wrong. A beautiful marriage looks like ongoing repentance and ongoing tenderness. We are going to make mistakes. There's no perfect marriage out there and you are not looking at a perfect marriage. But what you are looking at is two people who believe that God can continue to remake and to rebirth and pour out his spirit and make all things new and make it beautiful. So those of you who are saying, I remember when I was 13 and I prayed the prayer, I say, praise God for that moment and pray that prayer every day of your life for the rest of your life and watch your relationship with Jesus be reinvigorated. You must be born again. And I'll just say, I didn't plan on doing any of this, but some of you have been stuck in old patterns and some of you have been stuck in the spirit of againstness. Some of you are living with a scoreboard well, I did that and she did this. And if he did, I'm telling you, if, if you're trying to win in your marriage, both of you lose. But if you will humble yourself and be about unity rather than winning, if you'll be about forgiveness rather than keeping an old tab of old mistakes, if you will spend the rest of your life getting up every day and recovering your vows with each other and recovering your vows with God, his spirit will birth spirit in you and flesh will be crucified and buried and you will become born again and your relationships will become born again and your business relationships will become born again. Friends, I'm telling you, if you come to Jesus, he can make all things new. Can you say amen today? Amen. As we get ready to close here, I want you to think about eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. I'll just say to you when, you, when you use something and you're used to hearing something over and over again, familiarity begins to breed contempt and it becomes a cliche, something that was humming literature, something that was alive, something that had transformative power begins when you just say it, 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 it kind of falls asleep. Eternal life, I think in the church that, that, that phrase and that image has sort of fallen asleep. And I would pray to God that just here in the next few minutes, something about it would hum again with life for you. Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him, Jesus, would not perish but have what? everlasting life, eternal life. Jesus wants us to have eternal life. Now, when we think of eternal life, we typically think about the distant future. We think about wars and the rumors, wars and Armageddon, and this thing's gonna blow up and go to hell, but one day we'll have eternal life. Jesus is not talking about that. Okay, think about, uh, let's think theologically for just two minutes, okay? I wanna take you on a journey. Here's Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? The beginning, the, the creational moment. We typically start our stories with Genesis 3. And we take the story into our own hands and there's sin and there's death and there's curse and all of that. And we, we get exiled out of the garden. But I want you to go before Genesis 1 and ask the question, what was happening before creation? What was happening before God said, let there be and there was? What was happening before that moment was God. <laughs> 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in an unbroken back and forth communion of, 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 of love. What was happening before then was the beauty and the radiance of God's holiness. What was happening before then was blessing and generosity and grace and mercy. Before God said, God was, and it was only good because God is only good and there's no darkness in him. So when Jesus says, if you believe in me, God's one and only son, you will have eternal life. He was talking about the blessing that came before the curse. You will have, you'll be swept up into, and you'll be the inheritor of God's eternal story that was and that is and that is to come. Now, when Jesus says eternal life, he is also including that moment out in the distant future, that moment of Revelation 21. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God like a bride beautifully adorned for her bridegroom. Heaven and earth coming together. And he said, and there were no more tears for the old order of things has passed away and there's no more sorrow. There's no more mourning. There's no more death. There's no more crying because the old order of things has been passed away. So Jesus, when he says, if you want everlasting life, if you worship me, you will have everlasting life. He is also saying that right here and right now we can claim God's glorious future and we can live in it. One of the worst things we could do with this text is confine it to some distant eternity in heaven. The salvation of Jesus is not just for eternity. Jesus has come so that we don't have to perish while we are still living. While we are still living, I hope you are catching this. The pre-existent blessing of God's oneness gets caught up in our story right now. And the future blessing of God's new creation, new heavens and new earth gets brought forward into our present Jesus says, if you believe in me, you get that. And if you believe in me, you get that. And if you believe in me, I'll stand you up in your story right now so that you can give that to the people suffering and dying all around you. Eternal life right now. I'll say it this way. If you have eternal life, you have the ancient holiness of God animating your present as you work toward God's beautiful future. The ancient holiness of God, the pre-existent oneness and blessing and communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, walking past the curse and walking past all the complexity and in the middle of our current moment of, of madness that we're living in, he says you can have that eternal life now even as you walk towards God's glorious day when there will be no more tears. Jesus says if you get me, you get that and you get that and you get it right here and right now. Can you say amen today, church? One more story. I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, around a man named Reverend Dr. Wade Watts. I want to show you a picture of Dr. Watts. And when I was 13, 14, 15, he was an older man and a, by that time a real pillar in the community. And Dr. Watts pastored a small black church in McAllister, Oklahoma, and he didn't have much power, but he had all the spiritual authority. And the two are different. Yeah. We live in a world where people got power, but they have no authority. We live in, we, I saw in Dr. Watts a man who had all authority in heaven and on earth because Jesus gave it to him, even though he had no institutional power. And he preached at this small church with white wooden outside exterior, 
And he preached Jesus Christ as Lord every single week. He thundered. He was a golden-tongued prophet. He was an orator's orator. And he marched with Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in the 50s and 60s and 70s in the South. He was Oklahoma's president of the NAACP for 16 years. And he would say, he would stand up on stage and he said, all I want is for America to live up to her creed. That we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And he said, that includes us. And they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among them are life, liberty. You guys know the story. He just said, I just want America. I don't want much. I just want America to live up to her creed. And he preached and he preached and he preached and he preached. And one Sunday night after church, he got a phone call. He said, Reverend Dr. Watts, you got to get up here. And he came up to the church and there was a cross in the church parking lot that someone had jammed there and the cross was on fire. The Ku Klux Klan came to McAllister, Oklahoma, and they said, Reverend Dr. Watts, you need to stand down right now. We'll leave you alone if you quit. And he said, you know what? I, I, I might consider that if that were possible, but I took vows before the Lord and, and I, I read the scriptures and he's made me to be a prophet to the nations and it's just not in me to quit. So you can kill me if you need to kill me, but I will not quit. Jesus Christ is Lord and all men are created equal. A few weeks later, he gets the worst phone call. He, he, Reverend Dr. Watch, you gotta get up to the church. He comes up to the church and the church is burning down. Small little church in McAllister, Oklahoma. Burned to a crisp. And the whole community, it was an open secret. The whole community knew who did it. His name was Johnny Lee Clary. Johnny Lee Clary was a younger white man who his dad committed suicide when he was 11 and he was discipled by some of his, flesh gives birth to flesh. He was discipled by some of his uncles in Georgia who just destroyed him and said, you know what, you know what they told him to turn him into that monster. And he had imbibed it, he had taken it in and now he was acting it out. So Reverend Dr. Watts is an older man in his career at this point and young Johnny Lee Clary is the grand dragon of, of the Ku Klux Klan in Oklahoma. And it was an open secret that he's the one that burned the church to the ground. And one night a radio station host in Oklahoma said, I wonder if we could get a debate going. I wonder if Reverend Dr. Watts would come up to the radio station and I wonder if Johnny Lee Clary would come up to the radio station and they invited Johnny Lee Clary and he was rattled and he was, he was shook. And, and, and then they invited Reverend Dr. Watts and he said, I, I was made for moments like this. I'd love to, let's go anytime you want. And so Johnny Lee Clary knew that he couldn't be a no-show, so he showed up that night and he got there first and he was in his white garb. He, he wore his robes, it was just a complete desecration trying to intimidate this man of God. So he's sitting in the radio station and the Los Angeles Times heard about this story years after and they flew to Oklahoma and they interviewed everybody and they wrote about it. And I want you to read this little paragraph. On a night in 1979, Ku Klux Klan leader Johnny Lee Clary patted his white sheet as he waited in a radio station for his debate opponent, a civil rights activist named the Reverend Wade Watts. It goes on to say, Clary expected Watts to hate whites as much as Clary hated blacks. But when Watts walked into the broadcast booth, he smiled and told Clary that he loved him. Clary, then the Klan's Grand Dragon, was stunned. 
He had set a fire that damaged Watts Church in McAllister, Oklahoma, a crime for which he was never prosecuted. It was that night that Clary first began to doubt his racist convictions. Fast forward to 1989, 10 years later. You, sometimes you just gotta give Jesus time. 10 years later, Clary fell on his knees and said, Jesus Christ is Lord and I repent and I was wrong. And he went to Reverend Dr. Watts and he repented and made restitution for what he had done to his church. And he said, I'm so sorry. You are the man of God. I was the fool and Jesus Christ got my attention. And what I want to say to you is that death cannot stand in the way of everlasting life. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. Johnny Lee Clary, imagine this is Genesis 3, the curse comes, right? Johnny Lee Clary was given that apple and he took a bite and that racism came into him and hatred overtook him and he built decades of his life against a group of people. But there was one night in a radio station where he's wearing his white robes and a man who should never, on paper, should never have walked into that room and didn't owe him anything and should have felt, frankly, scared for his own life, that man had been born again. <laughs> He'd been born again, and he lived his life before the Spirit who gives birth to Spirit. And so when the phone call came, come up to the radio station... Are you kidding me? I was made for such a time as this. And he goes up to the radio station and instead of kind of living, looking over his shoulder and instead of looking at his shoes as he walked in, what he did is he went straight to Johnny Lee Clary and he stuck out his hand and he shook his hand and he said, good to see you, man of God. I love you. And you cannot finally keep eternal life down. Flesh that night was crushed and spirit gave birth to spirit. And Johnny Lee Clary stood up at Reverend Dr. Watts's funeral years later. And he said, I was a fool. I was an idiot. The devil had a hold of me. And then one night in a radio station in walked eternal life. And I was done. <laughs> and he stood up at his funeral and said, friends, you must be born again. Here's what I'm saying. Jesus can do anything. Some of you are stuck in old habits and hurts and hangups and stuff from your old story. No shame today, but I'm here to tell you everlasting life is in the room and you can be born again. You can be new. You can be free. You can be clean. You can be sober. You can be restored. You can be made new. Why? Because this is who Jesus is and this is what he does. And so I'm here today to provoke, to, to, to push, to, to, to call you friends. You must be born again. And there's no shame in this invitation. There's only life waiting for all of us. Jesus wants to heal us and restore us and he'll do it if we will let him. One, one last verse. I told you about Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night. John chapter three. What happened to Nicodemus? It's a great mystery. Be interesting if the Bible would actually tell us. Well, it does. John chapter 19. The text, the context is Jesus has just been crucified. He's been speared in the side. Blood and water flowed for the life of the world. Crown of thorns jammed into his head. Two nails in his hands and feet. Whipped 39, Jesus is dead, dead. And the question is, what are we gonna do with his body? Because it's the Sabbath night and we've gotta get a dead body down. You gotta get a dead body out of the way. There's burial rites and there's cleanliness laws and all this stuff. And it says in John 19 that later that day, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. 
Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, and he's similar to Nicodemus's first story. He was secretly a disciple because he feared the Jewish leaders like Nicodemus. With Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. And interesting, you can't really carry a body out by yourself. So who was with him? He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought that day, it goes on to say, he brought 75 pounds of aloe and myrrh because you had to anoint a body and then wrap it in linens. And it said he brought 75 pounds of aloe and myrrh. Nicodemus, the one who came at the beginning at night and he didn't want to be seen with Jesus, now he's coming and carrying the dead body of Jesus, even though it might cost him his very life. He just doesn't care. Why? Because eternal life got into him. And it changed him. And they say that the 75 pounds of aloe and myrrh was worth 150 to $200,000 in today's valuation, which means not only did he risk his life to bring the body of Jesus and bury it, but he also put up his retirement to venerate and dignify the story of Jesus at his death because eternal life cannot be stopped in the face of death. Friends, I'm here to tell you, you may have started one way with Jesus, but like Nicodemus, you can end well. Like Nicodemus, you can be made new. So friends, would you just begin now, close your eyes and open your hands in front of you and begin to say, Jesus, I need you. If you have faith, I'm not here to, to manipulate anything. If, if you sense that Jesus is here and he's calling you today like he called Nicodemus that day, would you just begin to call on the name of Jesus? Jesus, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we depend on you. And now would you hear the words of Jesus? You must be born again. This isn't Jesus inviting us to work harder. This is Jesus saying, give yourself over to me and let me do what I do. So Lord, today we release eternal life in this room. We receive eternal life in this room. Jesus, come and heal us. Jesus, come and make us new. And all God's people said, would you stand with me today? I want to invite our communion servers to come down. And here in just a minute, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of saying yes to Jesus. But what we're going to do is we're going to move through the room, come get your communion elements. If you're physically not able, just tap your neighbor. They'll bring you an extra, no shame. But come through the room, get your communion elements. As we worship Jesus, go back and hold them at your seat. And here in just a minute, I'll come back and lead us in a prayer and lead us in communion. Let's worship Jesus together. Oh, the perfect son of God in all his innocence. He'll walking in the dirt with you and me. He knows what living is. He's acquainted with our grief. Man of sorrow, son of suffering. Oh, blood and tears, how can it be? There's a God who weeps. There's a God who bleeds. Oh, praise the one. Who would reach for me? I 
invite you to pray with me to call on the name of Jesus as Lord if you have faith today in Jesus if your heart aches for Jesus if if you want to come to Jesus like Nicodemus that day 
Would you pray these words with me? Jesus, I believe that you are Lord. And I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to heal me. I need everlasting life. Today I renounce death. Today I renounce sin. Today today I renounce my past. And I receive newness of life. I believe that you have it. And I long for you today, Jesus. Come and be my Lord and Savior. It's in your name that I pray. And all God's people said, can we give God thanks for the people who prayed that today for the first time? I'm also giving God thanks for the people who prayed it to sign back up. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. As you take the bread today, I want you to see everlasting life beginning to be in you and taking you over from the inside out. Get the way of Jesus into your being and watch him change you. You may receive the bread today. He also said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. Some of you are carrying shame today, and I'll just say to you, Jesus doesn't want you to. You can put it down, let it be drowned downstream, let it be washed away. Your sins have been forgiven you. Let's drink up to our forgiveness. We're going to sing all hail King Jesus as we go. So come on, let's rip the roof off before we leave. Come on.
Church, would you open your hands today to receive the blessing as we go? I pray that your week would be marked by eternal life breaking out all around you. I pray that your week would look like living in the presence of the Spirit who gives birth to Spirit in you. I pray that you would go in the favor of God and the blessing of God and the joy of God. I pray, may the Lord our God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his bright, smiling countenance upon you and all of your people. And may he grant you his shalom, his peace this week. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here today? Real quick, real quick, hang on before you start bolting out of here. Our prayer team is coming down front. We would love to pray with you. If you're new, come see us in Connect Central. And men, go to the table. Pastors Gabe and Chatter out there. We need 100 fire teams. So if that's you, swing by and they'll give you info. Go from here in God's grace and peace. Much love.